When you date a love addict, you become their drug. And at first they can make you feel like the most special, beautiful person and like all the pain and loneliness and rejection in your life was for a reason because now finally the real person has come along. Love addicts love the feeling of being that for you, but they can't sustain it. And that's why dating is such a roller coaster of highs when they love you and lows when they totally disappear and seem to forget you. And the horrible thing about love addiction is that it has a way of spreading to you. Now you're the one who can't think of anything else. And soon the destructive signs and the mental distortions and the life deterioration begin to appear. My letter today is from a woman I'll call Lila. And she writes, Dear Anna, my first experience with online dating happened three weeks before COVID began. Oh, all right, got the fairy pencil. And I am circling what I want to come back to on a second reading, but let's read through Lila's letter and see what's going on. I connected with a man that began as daily correspondence and the delay in meeting him was justified by the shutdown. I enjoyed his humor and writing style and became very limerent about the possibilities with him. Limerence is um, an obsessive or addictive fixation on somebody who you can't really have. So it sounds like because they couldn't actually get together, she was obsessing on him. He was hot and cold with communications on setting a date, and when we met, it rapidly turned sexual. Red flag, red flag, okay. Much to my regret and shame. I was a virgin when I married. I guess she was married before, and she'd never been with another man. With him disappearing as quickly as he appeared. All right. That was a complicated sentence, but that's what it was. She, she slept with him quickly. She'd been married before, and that was her only partner until this guy, and the guy she slept with now disappeared as quickly as he showed up suddenly. Okay. We maybe spent collectively four nights together over an eight-week period. He texted often with no offers of dates or phone calls. My gut knew it was a dead end and I texted him goodbye and that I would cease contact. I was devastated. He then sent beautiful words of affection that suggested he had feelings for me but never expressed them. He maintained loose contact every 30 days. Oh my goodness until requesting to see me again the following year. He apologized and asked for a new start, showing some signs of having reformed himself and being a gentleman. <laughs> Nothing like a reformed gentleman. Okay. It was fine for a couple of weeks of dating, and then he began pushing for intense commitment. I met, him, I met his dad, and he wanted me to meet his friends, and he had extreme displays of emotion about me and declared how perfect I am for him. He talked about how he made mistakes in the past, but now he knows what he wants, that I wouldn't have to fear his intentions with me if I knew how much he liked me. My goodness. He wanted to share his Netflix account with me. <laughs> that, I get it. With me and asked me to decorate his home and go on a Mexican cruise. Okay. I broke down crying at the speed and confusion of it all. It didn't seem proportionate to context or reality. I couldn't understand why he had been so aloof previously only to come on so quickly the second time. Then I found a picture of him and a girl with a love note and keychain in the kitchen drawer at his house when I was cooking a meal. My gut knew she was a girlfriend. I waited a few more weeks before mentioning it 
hoping it was just an old discarded memorabilia. A few weeks later, when my best friend saw this man's dating profile and that he had liked the profile of the girl in the drawer, I guess, she, my, my, the best friend called her right away and, and then our letter writer called the guy for answers. He changed his story three times as to why he had an active dating profile and then stated the photo and letter was old memorabilia from previous years. I dumped and blocked him immediately. Fast forward several months and, I, and a face I recognized as the one from the kitchen drawer photo appeared as a friend request to my social media. I knew this was my chance to get answers. This woman said she saw my name on something at her boyfriend's house and wanted to know my involvement with him. I offered her my number and expressed gratitude at getting a chance to have disclosure. We communicated almost daily for six months. Six months? Piecing together our overlapping stories and his deceptions. He had lied to her about his whereabouts so he could be with me. He even had unprotected sex with both of us within eight hours of each other. He, still, he was still calling her every evening, as he had done every day for three years, even while having me over. He would call or text her just before or after being with me. She and I shared a lot of vulnerability and support for each other. I was so grateful to have answers to the mystery man that haunted me and the pain I felt at his inconsistent behavior, yet very romantic and hopeful writing to me. She had been with him for three and a half years. Two of those he maintained active communication with me. We found evidence of at least five other women he was in simultaneous communication and sexual liaison with, one being his married, pregnant, next-door neighbor. The details were harrowing and some something for a 60 Minutes documentary. She was disgusted and heartbroken and dumped him. I hope she did that quickly. Then she sent him an impact letter. An impact letter? Okay. That he responded to a month later. She shared some of it with me and how for the first time in their three and a half year relationship, he wrote that he loved her and expressed remorse and accountability for his hurtful reactions. Oh, where have we seen that pattern before? <laughs> I, was, I was glad she got an apology, yet grieved the lack of one for myself as I didn't know the full extent of his mistreatment of me until getting more details from her and just how cruel and deceptive he had been. Even giving us the same gifts and taking us to the same date spots. I gradually noticed her communications began to change their tone and her Facebook posts became more cryptic. My gut knew she had returned to him. I asked her about a pic she posted and her evasive response confirmed my intuition. I unfriended her and decided to quietly remove myself from their triangle. It still hurt me deeply like a double betrayal. For her to know all the specific ways his actions harmed me and others and to hear his treatment of her during their relationship uh, shock, or shocked me that she would return to him and deny me at least an honest acknowledgement of her choice. They're free to do life as they choose. I suppose I'm hurt that he made apologies and amends to her, and yet not to me. How do I make peace with this? All right, Lila. All right, I can help. Um, poor other girl. <laughs> I'm going to get to that. All right, and this so-called apology that she got, and the, the strange fog that your mind is in that you think somehow she got a good thing. You think she got a good thing. And I'm not just saying that like some abstract tough love thing, like 
you are in it right now. You're in, you're in the addiction right now, writing this letter. And I'm going to try to just talk sense to you. And it's probably going to make you mad. I'm going to be as kind as I can. But this is going to sort of threaten your worldview because you're in active addiction right now saying this. Okay. You didn't tell me anything about your background, except that you were married once and you, that was your only experience. So I don't know what your childhood was. I don't know what happened there, but the marriage was over. And so you met a guy with online dating before COVID and you didn't meet for a long time. And so you were sort of explaining to me why that didn't seem odd because of the lockdown. And when you did get together, it turned sexual immediately and it made you, that made you feel terrible. But over an eight week period, you only saw each other for four nights. So yes, that's odd. It's odd to have, yeah, right, okay. But from hindsight of everything you're telling me in this letter, we know, like you're sort of building the story of, you're helping me understand how you sort of believed it could possibly be good. But even before I knew that, you know, he was such a terrible lying bastard, <laughs> I just, even before then, I was just like four, four times in an eight week period and, and then all these chats with no offers of dates or phone calls, like from the outside, it's really obvious something's going on right there. It's really obvious. So I'm trying to think there's probably like some jargon for it, but it's like a dog leash that's made of metal so that the, the animal can't come back and they can't get away. It's like holding a thing at a distance. That's what he does. And that's a really common sex and love addict uh, phenomenon. And you know, like, I'm not even going to try to psychoanalyze him. I'll just say, like, he was clearly doing the behaviors of a sex addict and love addict. But it wasn't just sex. He would do all this uh, hot, cold thing. And so when you would break up with him and set a boundary, he'd go, no, wait. There's all these feelings I never told you. He would say in a psychopathic, calculated way, whatever he had to say to make you come back and be occasionally available to him sexually. So I know this is painful to hear. I think you know it. But there's just no, there's no way around what this is here. So you were devastated. So there's you, you know, all innocent and like, I think this is love. And for whatever reason, he's just not contacting me very often. And he doesn't want to get together. You were probably obsessing on him every day. All your creative energy, you know, it's just one day you're going to be with somebody who totally loves you. And all that energy is going to go into like, you know, having a family or, or um, building a house or having a garden or taking amazing trips and doing things that give you joy. Like your life energy is precious. And it's just such a shame when any of us just sit there and just like, blah, 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 blah. We just toss it into the street on somebody like this. But that's how we're made. You know, we're, we're, we're made to fall in love and bond. And I don't know what your past is, but I'm guessing something happened where um, you got, you weren't seen as a person or you were, um, neglected. I'm guessing there's neglect that, cause that's what it makes people do is sort of, um, just be very willing to go into a fog or just prone to go into a fog when somebody jerks them around like this, very occasional hots with mostly cold. Um, you know, when you're all healed from this, you wouldn't give anybody the time of day if they make you just sit there waiting and feel abandoned. That just wouldn't be a good person to be in a relationship with, would it? So then he apologized and asked for a new start and showed some signs of having re reformed himself. So I just want to say, like, 
I think a lot of us are very attracted to the fantasy of the guy who reforms. And there's a weird kind of like pleasure in it of like, I'm the girl who caused him to reform. But that is like, you know, that's like nuclear grade codependence right there of being attracted to the reform possibilities and feeling like you belong in a situation with somebody who only decides to reform because you set a boundary with them. Like when somebody loves you, first of all, they don't come and go. They're in an early relationship, you know, things aren't certain. But these things that you said, they, they should go in the classic manual of how to love bomb, share his Netflix account, one, asked you to decorate his home and to go on a Mexican cruise. And I'm just saying, he, oh, he wanted to share. So these were all things he said he wanted to do, but I'm not hearing that he did do them, which, um, you know, I detected that. And also that he, you did meet his dad. And that was weird to me. It's like, does his dad know? what he's doing. That's weird. Were you allowed to be overt as a couple when you met the dad or did, were you obliged to hide that? Then he wanted you to meet his friends, but that never happened. And then extreme displays of emotion. Yeah, I don't believe it. And you broke down crying at the speed of confusion. It wasn't proportionate to context or reality. Good girl. That's right. It was not proportionate to context or reality. So you do that's in there. Your gut does know this, but you've been overriding it. Wait, this is not in proportion. What that means is stop, stop. And if that ever happened where somebody love bombed you and it's not in proportion, what you do is you stop and it would, you perhaps, if nothing else has happened, you can be open to communication, but you let it come to you. You don't go running after them or try to get them to explain or anything. And then, um, and he was so aloof, then he came on so strong the second time. So let's take bets. Uh, so, you know, somebody else set a boundary with him. So he had to go somewhere else. Then you found a picture of him with the girl in the drawer. And you waited a few more weeks and you mentioned it and he lied. And it actually was his main girlfriend, the girlfriend that he'd been with for three and a half years. You're the other woman. But he said he didn't know her. I'm just like, God, this guy takes the cake. I've heard about this kind of thing. Some people I know you'll comment. It's like, yes, I know it happens, but oh my gosh. But the part where I know you're a traumatized kid inside is that just that the story goes on past this point. And your friend sees an active dating profile and you confronted him and you dumped him and you dumped him. So that was good. And then fast forward several months and the girl tries to friend you and she wants to talk. Okay. So this would be like in the movie version of this. This is the moment where basically the monster is back outside the door, but you just don't know it. You're like, you're like out on the porch. Did someone knock? And there's this rustling in the corn, right? The girlfriend and you making contact, I totally see the attraction of it, but this is when things really went south again for you. And I'll tell you why I think so. I totally understand wanting to talk to somebody and go, really? You too? Oh my gosh. But six months talking every day, guess what? You're in an addictive relationship. Six months chatting every day about a mutual resentment is pretty, uh, unhealthy. That's really unhealthy. There's nothing to be gained by talking for six months. And I can't help but see that both of you were addicted to the guy. And by having each other, you had a reason to keep thinking about him and talking about him. You know, when people have like sex addiction or love addiction, um, when I coach them, one of the things I find incredibly hard about it 
is that they will just keep saying the same thing. And I know they're not listening. It doesn't matter what I tell them. It doesn't matter what is suggested. They say, please help me, give me advice. And I'll go one, two, three, do these things. It never happened next week. I just don't know what to do. What can I do? What they're getting off on, you know, when a, a person who has love addiction, it's very hard to shake. So unless there's like a super ego deflation, humbling event where a person really desperately wants to change what you're going to what you're going to be doing is just trying to use any structure at all to keep focusing on the guy. So the right thing to do about a guy who's this bad is get him out of your hair and never think about him or talk about him again and get your lessons straight about how you're going to prevent this from happening again and then work on yourself and then make your life as fun and joyful as you can. You don't talk to his girlfriend for six months every day. That's, that's really unhealthy. And then, yeah, I'm not surprised she went back to him and I, okay, this is going to be mean, but if he had picked you, I think you would have ended up back with him. You guys were keeping the addiction alive. And I know you're an active addiction because of this thing where you envy her and you believe that she got an apology and an amends and like you didn't get it. And I just want to say to you, can't you see that everything he says is bullshit? And so, you know, for whatever reason, your boundary is holding, please let it hold. Hers is porous. He's back with her, you know, who knows why, but it's, I guarantee you these two are not happy. And, you know, don't worry, addicts are not happy. It sounds, he sounds like he has a total lack of empathy, so he might be perfectly happy. I don't know. I don't know, but this is a miserable, terrible situation that's basically never going to end. And uh, so you said you want to get out. You, you quietly removed yourself from their triangle. There's your winning move. Very good. And you're still like, you're still thinking like, she got the apology. And, and you're, no, let me just tell you right now, you're never going to get an apology. He's not sorry. He doesn't get it. He only says loving or apologetic things when he's trying to get the leash just right to keep you over there 10 feet away, but not gone. You don't want that again. You know, I remember, I remember being in, um, you know, terrible, just so hung up on people who had mistreated me and people who were healthier would say to me, you don't want that. You know, that's like a bad thing. And I always thought that was like psychobabble or something. When you're in the middle of addiction, you cannot hear it. It's just like, you just think people are, oh, that's for normies. You know, they just don't understand or whatever it is, but they're right. You don't want this and whatever you can do, you know, tie yourself to the mast of the ship, but do not jump off into the waters and drown. Don't do it. There's nothing good for you there. You may want to check out Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous um, and go to women's meetings and be together with other women who have gotten sucked in with people like this. People who were sex and love addicts who ended up, you know, sort of grabbing your brain and turning you into an obsessive person too. Um, it can be really helpful. I would recommend staying away from anybody you feel attracted to there. It's not a good place to meet people to date. It's a place to meet a sponsor, work the steps, and then having worked the steps and, or being seriously in progress with them, going to meetings so that you can share what's working for you with the people who are very new in the room. That's what 12-step meetings are for. I really encourage you to get some help and, um, you know, maybe let us know sometime what happened. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.